Welcome to WFIU's Profiles. I'm Annie Corrigan. Profiles is a program that introduces visiting artists and scholars to the WFIU listening area. Our guest today is musician Kenny White. In the iTunes review of his latest album, Comfort in the Static, he was affectionately called a sarcastic rather than sensitive singer-songwriter. And David Crosby of The Birds and Crosby, Stills, and Nash has called him one of his favorite singer-songwriters. But our listeners out there, you probably are most familiar with his work on radio and television commercials. I was listening to some of your stuff a couple days ago, and the Heartbeat of America theme from the Chevrolet ads in the 80s, still in my head. I think I'm stuck with that for the rest of my life. There's a fellow named Robin Bateau, also a singer-songwriter by trade, and he wrote that song back in the 80s. And uh, it ran for many years, and, and every few months they do different arrangements of it, so... I ended up probably arranging 35 or 40 of those and uh, playing on them, singing on them. Yeah, I can hear your voice on one version. I hear Aretha Franklin on another version. That's incredible. Aretha was on one. Um, I tried to do Mavis Staples. I uh, actually brought her in to do the demo. They didn't buy her. I don't, you know, what? there's no accounting for taste. <laughs> you need to put out an outtake of the Heartbeat in America <laughs> recording they, sessions. They said, we had a woman last year. We don't want another one. I said, well, why did I bring her in from Chicago? To <laughs> She was amazing. She was just great and would have been a, a fabulous spot. But, yep, that was one of the many. Well, so. that and the unsinkable taste of Cheerios. Also a Robin song. It's like an earworm. For you? For me, yeah. Oh, I thought I would have guessed that was before your time. Well, I was not alive when it was on television, but I've been listening to it. What other commercials can we get people familiar with of yours? Uh, I did Pontiac for a year. Um, We are driving excitement. I I arranged, didn't write uh, a lot of the Diet Coke just for the taste of it. Coca-Cola can't beat the feeling. Um, Another Robin song, Your True Voice, that Whitney Houston actually sang. Um, They just put the tag on many, many, many spots. so that one would play like twenty twenty times a day when it was when it was running and, and in full gate. As in terms of royalties, how does that work? Do you get paid every time it's played? Do you get a flat fee? Well, the writers in that business are the low men on the totem pole. The writers get a flat fee, which hadn't really changed for many 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 years because it was uh, an unspoken an unspoken agreement that the writers would end up singing on the spot and uh if you sang on it at least at the time things have changed with the uh with the advent of all these different uh all the media changes but if you sang on it you would get paid each time it aired it was all about the unions and the the singers union was different than the musicians union where as a musician you got paid quarterly and as a writer you got paid once so it, mm. it was kind of down the uh down the scale Singers were the top men and the writers were the low men. Wow. It seems backwards in a lot of ways when you think about it. Yeah, it it, it really does. And and in the in songwriting it it's just the different it's different because the writers are the ones that uh that that do the best. Well we're gonna talk about the fact that you've sort of switched gears from doing commercial writing to now doing your solo stuff ten or twelve years ago. You've switched your focus. But I'm wondering as a songwriter, is it hard to write these short, catchy pop tunes for commercials, how tough must that be? The tough part is the uh, is the deadline. You know, they they wanted everything immediately. So 
It wasn't that tough. Uh, they usually, at least the beginning when I was doing it, they would hand you a lyric. Uh, later on in in my career, they they even stopped doing that. Well, you write you write it, and there were times where that you know played to my benefit for sure uh, because I I would have rather, but it also made it a lot tougher to to keep the schedule. But as far as writing the hooks, and no, I, it was never difficult for me. And then I realized, if you sing me any song from the, the '60s or so, any commercial, I know them. You, you mention a product, and the and the commercial goes in my head, which is funny because I never really thought that this was going to be a vocation for me. I never had any inkling. I never had any desire to do it. But thinking back in retrospect, I really knew every commercial that was on TV. Wow. And and was totally hooked on them. So maybe it was a natural progression. I don't know. Well, and you started playing music as a young kid. You had no aspirations of being a musician when you were well, six or eight. Does anyone? I don't. I don't know. I was playing songs from the radio when I was when I was six. I had a little plastic organ and uh, would mimic the song I had just heard. And my parents were overwhelmed by that and said, "Would you like to take lessons?" I said, "Sure." I didn't know what they were, and they turned out to be a whole different. A whole different way of hearing music, and and one that I didn't really cotton to all that much, but uh, I stuck with it for a while <laughs> until until high school, and I threw it away and just played rock and roll. I'm curious about writing these really famous jingles and having them be in households all across America on everybody's radios, but hardly anybody knows that that's your music. Is that troublesome? It wasn't at all troublesome for me, and 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 this is a narcissist speaking. So, so <laughs> if it's going to be troublesome for anyone, uh, but no, I was so into the process of doing it, uh, and also the the uh, the amount of work, uh, the volume of work was was insurmountable. I mean, I was doing sometimes three a day, and that would be recording three completely different tracks, three completely different styles, three completely different bands and singers morning, afternoon, and evening. It was that kind of schedule for a while. You never even thought about who, who knew you and who didn't. It was just, it wasn't about that. The upside for many, and, and for me, obviously, um, was that it was quite lucrative. But having said that, I, I would have, I would not have stayed with it if I couldn't, if I wasn't proud of the music. I wasn't proud of the lyrics, but but musically, I, it was really, uh, there was some great, stuff and I'm still proud of some of the stuff I did. I got to work with some of the musicians I had been listening to on records all my life because nobody would turn down that gig. It would be an hour out of their day and sometimes it would run for eight or nine years. So, so you know, Tony Levin and Steve Gadd were my first session. Tony Levin from Peter Gabriel's band and King Crimson and Steve Gadd from everybody's band and there they are doing a Cherry Coke commercial, my first session in New York. It's like what is what world have I stepped into? You know, it was uh, an amazing time for me. So the money was great, but it was second. It was second, and for as, at least as far as I was concerned. Well, you just said that you weren't necessarily proud of the lyrics of these commercial jingles, and it's funny because now all the comments that I'm reading about your new stuff, your four solo albums since 2000, it's all about the lyrics and how witty and how creative and how funny they are. So is that the biggest change from writing your own music than writing commercial jingles, is that you finally get to say what you want to say? Absolutely, yeah. And that's the biggest change from writing in the last 10 years to what I was writing prior to that. 
I don't know. There was there was some kind of epiphany, I guess, in my life. I don't I don't know what it was. Whether it was my divorce or whether it was uh, sitting on a therapist's couch, you know, a few days a week. But somewhere along the line, I was retooled as a writer, and 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 I was starting to write things that actually meant something to me, instead of writing things that I found interesting and clever, and uh, and good sometimes, but not moving. And and I didn't I didn't quite get it. It was a disconnect. I, I didn't understand, you know, why Joni Mitchell was able to write, you know, to the chronicle of the heart as as well as anybody ever had has. I didn't realize how deeply inside yourself you you had to inspect. I just uh, it was it was a lot of years from the neck up. I was writing and 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 they were good and interesting, but. They weren't anything I could sing night after night or, or that people would come up after a show and say, you really touched me. So, yeah, not only was it different from writing jingles, it was different from writing anything I had done prior to that. I think probably the best way to highlight all of this is to just play one of your tunes off the new album. Of the 10 or 12 songs that are on it, what's one of the most personal ones that we can play? There are quite a few of them. Um, Who's going to be the one I wrote about someone else? So uh, I can I can introduce. Yeah, that. let's talk about that. Okay, this is a selection off your new album, "Comfort in the Static." It came out in 2010. Who's going to be the one? So tell us the story behind this. I produced the last three Peter Wolf records. Peter Wolf from the Jay Giles band. Um, in the late 90s, he he found me through a couple of uh, connections where people said you should meet this guy in New York. And, Blah, blah, blah. I was never a big Jay Giles fan. I was certainly more than aware of them. And uh, I did like a lot of the early stuff they did. But anyway, Peter came down and, and played me some of the things he was thinking of recording for this record. And it was like, wow, this is <laughs> this is what I've been missing in my life. So I ended up producing that and the subsequent two records after that called Sleepless and Midnight Souvenirs re- released two years ago. Sleepless being hailed by Rolling Stone magazine as one of the 500 greatest albums ever made, which was quite amazing. Uh, Peter is a, a, a wealth of knowledge and uh, an encyclopedia of R&B, bluegrass, doo-wop, uh, you name it. Um, so it was not only a learning experience, but a, a complete joy, and we've become very close friends. I wrote this song about him. Which you know, ironic in a sense that it is a bit of a one of the more folky tunes on the record, and he was known as anything but. <laughs> but uh, I think he was touched by it. I don't know. So he knows that you wrote it for him. Yeah, he does, and I, I'm pretty sure he was. And that's what it's about. Brush against fate at least once a day At night you tempt the ghosts Of all the close calls I can say Love scared you the most Your mother taught you to be tough Your father showed you tender on their own, neither one's enough Sometimes you fight 
sometimes surrender You're gonna be the one to save the day I believe that's what you're here to do But when the lamps go on and the day's work is done Who's gonna be the one Music from the 2010 album Comfort in the Static, Who's Gonna Be the One? Performed by our guest today on Profiles, Kenny White. Well, so for 10 or 12 years now, you've been dedicating yourself to writing your own solo music. Has it sort of felt like starting from the ground up all over again? Very much so. In the commercial side of things, I was, I was, uh, if not on top for a lot of years, very close to it. And, uh, and I was able to say, get Mavis Staples to sing my demo and they would fly her out there. And, uh, you know, I had that kind of, uh, I guess power in a, in a way, in a sense, you know, where I could, uh, I wasn't ever abusive of it, I hope, but I, I, I was one of the first calls, I think, for, for many years. And then I decided to throw that all away and start over as a singer-songwriter. And it's now it's, you know, oh, you want a sound check too? You know, <laughs> yes, sir, please, may I? Just two minutes. <laughs> Do you ever think like, what have I done? I had this career. No, not once. You know, of course, you know, you think about you're, you're driving for six hours to play for for, you know, 70 people not 70 people 7 people and you know $50 and you and the thought does enter your mind but it's the 23 hours that you're not playing that's the problem and the one hour or even half an hour sometimes that you are never a problem it's just you know I don't care if there are 7 people or, and I've played for 7 and I've played for 7,000 now and, and uh, or Maybe 5,000 was the biggest. I don't know. But you know, which do you prefer? I bet they're both different and both great. They are. They're both different. Uh, a preference, well, I like to have a lot of people out there to play for, but there's something really cool about playing for a small audience that there's an, there's an interpersonal connection that you can't, you know, begin to. And I, I've read people who, you know, like Springsteen are playing stadiums and, you know, he, you know, these guys miss that in a lot of ways because they were club acts to start. And, and there's there's so much connection there that you that you don't have. You develop a way to, to do it, obviously, and, and nobody does it better than he. But there's still something different about the, the grandiosity, you know, there. I don't love when seven people show up, but <laughs> but, but I'm happy more than happy to play for them. I watched a video on your website. It's you performing the song we're going to hear next, Gotta Sing High. And the thing that struck me about that video is it was obviously in a bar club setting because there was a lot of ambient noise of people just chatting and, and drinks clanking together. But the audience was laughing at the lyrics because they were so witty and funny and they got people really involved in the way you performed it really brought the audience in. Do you happen to remember the video that I'm talking there about? There are a few of them. Of the, I, I have a feeling it's one of two. It's either in New York City or uh, Amherst or Northampton, Massachusetts, because I think those are the two better ones that I've seen. It's just so rare for me to watch a video or be a part of a music performance where people are genuinely laughing with enjoyment at the lyrics. What's that like as a performer to get that reaction? Well, it's great, especially when you mean it to be somewhat humorous, uh, which I did. The the thing is, I never I have a, a a bunch of songs that are that get a lot of laughs, but none of those songs ever 
began from trying to be humorous. None of them. I, I had no idea that they were going to end up being that way. Goddess Sing High is a perfect example. I, I, was, I had written the chorus of it as a joke because you know, I was bitter. <laughs> <laughs> and there it was. And it was, it was my bitterness that um, I thought it was funny when I wrote it, but I, I wasn't intending it to be funny. And then and certainly never intended it to be a song. And then about a year later, I was driving from the Philly Folk Festival at 6 a.m. back up to New York to catch a plane out of New York. And I was started to write a verse to what was <laughs> obviously going to be this song that I then at the time thought I would never play for anybody because, you know, who wants to hear this? And so I finished it on that trip. And then it took me a few gigs to even think about playing it. And when I did, people loved it and... Uh, Blew my mind, totally blew my mind, and thought it was hysterical. And I, th I thought it was funny too. It by that point, but the the intent when I started was certainly not being funny. I was aggravated, and uh, it was. I picked on James Blunt and that song "You're Beautiful" in it, and uh, and that was just. Uh, he's a microcosm of what of what's wrong. I, I I certainly didn't mean the song to be about him, and it's not, but. When I was growing up, you know, I was attached to the radio and I had it under my pillow when I went to sleep and I was listening to it night and day when I wasn't in school. And you were just given so many choices and so many different, such a different palette, you know, and you, the top 10 would have 10 completely different songs. It would have uh, from, from R&B to, to country to spoken word, a cabaret, it just, it just didn't matter. You know, in 1965, the Beatles had like, I don't know how many number one hits. The biggest song of that year was Winchester Cathedral. Um, you were just given this this huge assortment to choose from. And, and I think there was much more of a respect offered the listener than you can even get close to finding today. That's my problem. You know, when one person does something that breaks through nine other people have to try and then every and all the companies get behind them and it's just like they don't care about individuality they they actually discourage it and you know and if you're lucky enough to to have it and and break through then you're going to be copied that's that's the first rule these days it wasn't so then and that's what that song's about we're going to listen to it in a second but since we're talking about it i just want to speak the chorus for our listeners you got to sing high and then higher Sing things like you're beautiful and then repeat the line. Yeah, repeat the line. So it's what you're mentioning here is James Blunt is a pop singer and his song You're Beautiful is one of the most popular, most famous songs of the past five or so years. And so it's sort of it gives listeners who are in the know an inside joke to laugh at. I think that's sort of the cool thing. So people who also agree with you can, you know sort of feel vindicated in their hatred of the way pop music is going these days. I find it whiny and insincere. Um, and, you know, oh, poor me, I'm never going to get this, this this girl. And it's just like, uh, <laughs> okay. You know, I know a lot of people can relate to it. And, and, and sure, uh, of course, that's what, that's what makes him a lot more popular than I am. But I just, it just doesn't ring true. You know, the older I get, the less I want to be interested in things and the more I want to be affected by things. And my only affect <laughs> is uh, unpleasant. Well, let's talk about the music you listen to then. What do you look for in music 
that you enjoy listening to just for fun, musically, lyrically? Uh, you know, I, I do. I just want to lyrically these days. There's not much that that really gets to me. But if if there's something, if there's a line, you know, one line in something. Jane Sibbery had a line uh, in a song called "Love Is Everything." You know, uh, I don't remember what it was right now, but, but it was um, made uh, sweet and sad the same. Love made sweet and sad the same. I mean, just that simple line says so much to me it's a world in one in one line uh, there are verses Marcone, who's a friend of mine uh he he wrote a song called the things we've handed down when his first child was being born the last verse of that song is is the perfect verse for me uh it just says so much and so little leonard cohen's able to do it um i met the guy from the crash test dummies recently and then and uh there was a song, their record, God Shuffled, God Shuffled His Feet, and the title cut was one of my favorite rock and roll lyrics ever. I just thought it, it just, you just felt like you knew everybody. You know, Nothing was exploitive. Nothing was forced. They didn't try to make you feel anything. You just felt it. That's what I listen for. I don't like anybody that tries to make me feel something. And so many of the new writers try to make you feel something. And it just, just falls way short of the mark for me. Well, let's give our listeners a chance to hear this song that we're talking That's so, so much bitter. about. <laughs> this, this bitter, angry song. It's actually really lovely. It's called Gotta Sing High. This is off Kenny White's new album, Comfort in the Static, from 2010. For a hit, you're going about it all wrong. All that psycho babble and mouthfuls of clever. I'll tell you when you'll hit the charts. How about never? Well, I have studied on this. My calculation's true. Here's a little tip that could work for even you. You gotta sing high, then even higher. Gotta look sensitive, mess up your hair, but not like you meant to. Sing things like you're beautiful. Gotta Sing High, performed there by Kenny White, our guest today on WFIU's Profiles. I'm Annie Corrigan. Thanks so much for coming in. I'm having a great time chatting with you. Me too. Production support for Profiles comes from Smithville, a locally owned business serving central and southern Indiana since 1922 with residential and business internet, voice, and security services. Smithville, local pride, global technology. Information at smithville.net. I have to ask you the question that I'm sure every singer-songwriter gets asked. Do you start with music or the lyrics first? You know, for years it was always the music. Uh, And then when I started writing these songs, these songs being the later incarnation of me, the lyrics really became the forefront. I was a musician for so many years and played with so many bands and so many studio settings, and I love so many styles of music. And I feel like I've recorded so many styles, but when I started doing my own records, 
I was almost writing the music to keep out of the way of the lyrics. So that's the way it's been ever since. I, I think that's going to change. And and I still get, I still know they're, musically they're interesting, but it's not, I have to start with a lyric idea at this point. You know, I have written a few songs on these records that started with just music. Um, and I, I wrote the lyric to it, but it's a lot easier for me. And it's a lot, uh, it's just the way I've been, it's just the way the, it's been going for me. Lyrics first. I chatted with Krista Detour recently about how she writes her songs. And she says some songs come in a whirlwind. They just write themselves in an hour. Some th- songs she struggles with for three or four years. And then suddenly she'll come up with what makes the song great. Or three or four years later, she deconstructs the song and uses bits and pieces in other songs. What does that process look like for you? Well, the ones that come in in a few minutes are usually have the longest shelf life at least at least for me they're usually the least contrived um you know uh, a lot of times i'll try to muscle something in there that that doesn't need to be in there i had a song called shoot the moon on one of my records and i had this verse that i just thought was great and, and the whole song started as a free write it was uh that and another song on that record started as like four pages of free writing which i which was a completely new concept for me and then uh what is free writing describe just i was sitting in a restaurant cafe and uh, and just writing first things that are coming to my head and then looking at them days later and said you know there might be a song in here which wasn't my intent i was just trying to trying to write i said i think there's a there's an idea in here there's a, a coherent uh concise thought somewhere in there but it's going to take a lot of whittling so that was a perfect example. And I thought I had really something cool. And, and I had this verse, which I thought was my favorite verse of the song. And I said, I can't get rid of this. But it's not. And I knew deep down it wasn't adding. It wasn't adding to the song. You were getting the feeling at least as well, probably better without it. But yet it was too clever to let go. <laughs> I was like so proud of it. It took me weeks. And finally I said, I am just going to take it out and finish this song and and I did and I couldn't even begin to tell you what that verse was now but it was the right choice and that's it's a hard thing to uh it's all about the editing process it's what you leave out not what you put in yeah what do you do a lot of editing it sounds like you do a lot I'll struggle between the word and or but in a in a sentence for a week because each one works and each one is a completely different uh result I mean, do you work with other people to get feedback on this, or is this all with yourself? I work with other people once I think I have it. I'm a, not a very good collaborator. I think I should probably train myself to be a better one because I think there's a lot to be gained from it. But, you know, I grew up in a non-confrontational family, so it's hard for me to say, you know, that, that I just think that's an awful idea you just had. <laughs> and, <laughs> and similarly, I don't want to hear it either. So I just avoid collaboration. <laughs> We're talking a little bit about how you encourage creativity. You're talking about free writing and just seeing what comes out. Do you also have times where you sit down at the piano or with your guitar and think, I'm going to write for two hours. And then when the alarm goes off after two hours, I'm done writing. I've never been that disciplined. I would love to be. And I probably should be at this point because it's been a while since I've been able to finish a song. Um, And you know that old perspiration versus inspiration, you know, if I could be that disciplined, I think I'd have a much bigger, uh, 
bigger songbook. I think it's a great way to work too. I think you should cut yourself off uh, unless you're really, you're really you're, unless you're showing a lot of momentum. But if you're struggling at all, yeah, it's a great idea to cut it off. But to sit down and actually start it every day like that uh, as a discipline, uh, it's not, not been in my handbook. Let's take a listen to another cut off of your latest album. This is In Magnolia. One of the more serious cuts. It's actually a pretty straightforward ballad, you say. Is that right? I would say so, yeah. It's, uh, I wrote this song on guitar. I don't know. Uh, I think it was being on the road a lot and kind of missing home, but it, it took a few twists and turns, as they all do. Misty rain is falling through the neon light Fat Tuesday in New Orleans on TV tonight They're mostly in the parts of town that look alright The camera never shows where the sadness goes I wish I had an anaconda's DNA I'd slip out of my skin and in my note I'd say Thanks to all who made me what I am today Going home, I'm tired of being alone Will I ever hold you like the night In Magnolia Way Music by our guest today on WFIU's Profiles that was In Magnolia performed by Kenny White, singer-songwriter. I'm Annie Corrigan, and you're listening to Profiles. One more question for you. You've been in the music business four decades. Is there ever a time when you think everything's been said? I have nothing new to contribute. I always think that. And then something hits you and a different way to turn a phrase or a, a, a chord progression that just seems like you haven't heard it a hundred times. And uh, it's out there. I think the crux of that that problem is not so much what's been done, but how it's all been done. I mean, Bach did it all as far as uh, melody and and chord structure, but everyone is such an individual and 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 has such feeling if if you let if you let that happen. Um, unfortunately, I think by design of of pop culture today and 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 even non-pop culture it's not that individualism and that kind of feeling and thoughtfulness is not nurtured it's not rewarded um this is not a cynic talking this is a realist talking <laughs> it's just not done anymore if you uh i don't know why anyone would pick up an instrument now and think they're going to get think they're going to get somewhere there are just a million people doing it a million People that shouldn't be doing it are doing it. There are a few people that should be. Maybe they're not getting heard. You know, good chance they're not getting heard. There's just no environment to nurture that kind of creativity. Not in music. A little more in film. A little more in in in, in books. Certainly not in TV. Um, the writing has been unbelievable in TV. When you find a show that's written, which is rare, you know, it's all reality TV. We've just pandered to the lowest common denominator. And uh, I'm not cynical about it. I look for hope every day, but but that's the way it is. You know, we have to make our we have to make our way around those trenches. And uh, well, gosh, what would you tell 
a 13-year-old kid out there who loves the guitar and is just starting to write his or her first songs and has aspirations of doing this for a living, what, what the heck would you tell that kid? I would tell him what my parents told me. Be a doctor. <laughs> no, I, you know, I don't know what I tell him. I tell him to play, and, and uh, but don't be delusional. You know, it's... Uh, I think there's been a lot of false confidence instilled in, in in the youth of today. There's been a lot of affirmation that I think in, in a lot of respects has been positive, but Enough is enough, and when you know when you're getting when you're getting affirmed and and you know allow him to act out while he's screaming you know for the half an hour. No, <laughs> just not. I'm not going with that. You know, I think discipline is a great thing to learn. Knowing what your limitations are is a great thing to learn. Not thinking that you can do everything, you know, as well as anybody. You can't. There's always someone that can do it better. John Lennon said it. You know, all you need is love, period. If you could go back 40 years, would you become a doctor? No. <laughs> I'd be a musician. I'm a prisoner. I, you know, I, when I quit college, I said, I'm going to find a way to make a living. And, uh, and I would do anything, and I did anything. I did everything. I, I played six hours a night for 12 bucks I, I, and was thrilled to get the opportunity. That was it. I had to do it. But... I don't think that's the case with a lot of people. I don't feel like they're just prisoners of that. Uh, you know, the, it's the American Idol culture. You know, it's about the end. It's about the result, about the prize. This is never about the prize with me. If it if it had been, I would have been done by 18. So maybe that's the thing, that if you want to be rich and famous, sell your soul. If you want to do it because you love it, expect to live as a pauper. Well... Not so much as a pauper. There's an audience out there that that is very uh, hungry for for real things. You know, I've I've heard the phrase "Where have you been?" more than I you know why why don't I know of you more than I ever want to hear it. Um, unfortunately, I'm, they don't know me because I, I don't fit into the into the rules. But you know, it's a different thing what I'm doing and what what they're doing on American Idol. It's like it's not even the same field. Uh, I guess music is the common denominator, but but no, they're 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 very different. Uh, people that are musicians and artists, they they have a, a tough road to road to hoe. You know, it's uh, I I don't envy them, but if they have to do it, they have to do it, and and they'll find a way to be happy doing it. I am. So much for one final question. <laughs> I've just kept going here. The radio and the TV music world seem to be so completely different from another type of music world that's happening right now on the Internet and in independent labels and in people just sort of putting out their own albums and seeing where they go. Do you ever think about trying to focus on the Internet culture and the independent music culture and just sort of forget the radio and television crap? Well, you kind of have to right now. Your your hand is forced yet Boy, that's a whole that's a whole can of worms for me because it's it's hard for me to to wrap my head around this whole everybody wants to know everything about you. I don't I don't understand it, and I certainly don't like it. I don't like you know reading about what people did every day on Facebook, what they do every day. Um, does it get you 
recognized? Does it get name recognition? Yeah, I think it does probably a little bit, but no one's making it. No one's making it through social media. There are a million ways to do it, but you're still not selling. Nobody's having the success they did it at one time. So it still hasn't been figured out. I think there are ways to get more well-known. I remember asking when MySpace was big, you know, how many people have found me on MySpace? And I had a lot of friends. And uh, one person at one show said, I found you on MySpace. That was it. So all these friends <laughs> are not really your friends. Um, yes, there is there is a benefit to it. There, and And for a guy like me, I don't think... I could have started a career in my mid forties um, at any other time in in music and and be taken with any kind of uh, seriousness. I think the internet helped that, and I think uh, nobody knows where it's going to land. It's just you know, nobody has an idea. The record companies are still trying to to uh, to dictate, and they're and they're losing. They're losing a battle that that they deserve to lose, really. Because they're just not getting it. You know, they're still signing style over substance constantly. Gosh, we could talk about this for days. <laughs> but let's listen to another piece of music and then call it an evening here on WFAU's Profiles. This is music by Kenny White, our guest today. She's coming on Saturday, a track off of his 2010 album, Comfort in the Static. Kenny, thanks so much for coming in. This was great. Thanks for having me, Annie. For WFIU's Profiles, I'm Annie Corrigan. today she's not coming today she's coming tomorrow she's not coming tomorrow she might come on friday she'll see how she feels she's coming on saturday i'm really so happy i'm really not happy we're gonna do something it might not do anything there's so many movies she gets lots of headaches she's coming on saturday the program you just heard was recorded in May of 2012. The studio engineer and technical producer was Michael Pascash. Production support for Profiles comes from Smithville, a locally owned business serving central and southern Indiana since 1922, with residential and business internet, voice, and security services. Smithville, local pride, global technology. Information at smithville.net. Copies of this or other programs can be obtained by calling 812-855-1357. Information about profiles, including archives of past shows, can be found on our website, wfiu.org. Profiles is a production of WFIU and comes from the studios at Indiana University. Mia Partlow, producer. Please join us again for the next edition of Profiles. For WFIU, thanks for listening.